come on. I know. He's excited. Life's about to get really adventurous. That's what I wrote. Yeah, boys, change it up. Open up your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 16. Good to see everybody here. Our dear, precious uh, brother Jason lost his son this past week. Please continue to keep him in prayer. We are praying for him. A accident happened. It's one of those things where you just can't even think about, but it's a reminder. You couldn't imagine it, but it's a reminder of how uh, fleeting life is. Uh, he was out changing a tire with his son, and a tire came off of a truck that was passing by, uh, struck his son to the point where he needed to go to the hospital, and then passed away this uh, previous week. Can we just just pray for this family. Uh, he used to sing on our worship team. He has moved on to another church, but we do love and honor him. Uh, Father, we thank you for the Bell family. We thank you that every day is a good day with you, Jesus, and that life and death is in your hands, O oh Lord, and that when we go through times of trouble and trials like this, they are meant to draw us closer, not meant to separate us from your love, God, because nothing, either life or death, can separate us from your love. So I pray during this time, O oh Lord, that uh, Jason will be a testimony of your goodness, even even throughout his grieving, that you will comfort him, that you will bless him, the, the brothers, the sons who lost their brother, Lord, that you will be with them as well, and everyone that's missing him in this season, Father. And we hope to live for you and be with you one day as well, Father. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. We are in a new series called The Church. Everybody say, The Church. Amen. This is an exciting time to be a part of our church. If you're new, you're getting kind of like the groundwork of what it means to be in a church, and it's uh, a time for you to understand the behind the scenes. It's like going into the restaurant to see what's happening. So last week, I gave you an overview of why I would be talking about this subject, but I didn't give you a lot of the details of the passage. So let me do what a good preacher should do, and that's exegete the passage, ex exit out of the passage the truth. Everybody say exegete. Amen. So we're going to take out of this the proper interpretation. We're going to get into some of the Greek. We're going to understand what's happening here. And hopefully we can put a foundation down that's solid for years to come if anybody listens to uh, this sermon series, which I may want to make. I'm like tempted to make it mandatory from everybody moving forward, like to have this in their, their arsenal before they graduate our 201 because it covers so many details that people have about the church. And let me, let me just say this as you're holding your place there is that most people don't understand the church when they go to the church. So they just take for granted what the church is. Like, oh, I think I know about this place. I was raised in one, or my parents took me there. And as I showed last week, uh, most people don't even know what they're doing. It's like thinking Taco Bell is Mexican. How many remember that example? And Taco Bell is not Mexican, but if that's all you know, and that's what you think, then you're just going to say that's Mexican. But it's not Mexican. And as you get introduced to real Mexican food, as I did from, you know, being from Fort Wayne, the suburbs, thinking, I was that guy thinking a crunchy taco with lettuce and tomato was a taco. When I got introduced to a taqueria in Houston, Texas from my friend Juan Gonzalez, I got to understand what real Mexican was, you know? And then I just, I felt like you should have never called that Mexican. Like, like why'd y'all do me like that? Like, I feel like I got the wrong experience there. It was kind of like when I saw a Pizza Hut in Chicago. I was like, what are you doing here, Pizza Hut? 
Like Chicago's known for pizzas. Like that's not that that's not what we do here. You know, like the thin, you know we're used to the thinner crust or the deep dish, not that kind of pan pizza. That's more of like a Detroit style. But it was kind of weird for me. But then I just went along with it. And so many people they come to the church, they think they understand the church, but it's like Taco Bell. They don't really understand what's going on. And I showed last week that it's not even the real title pastors that are in charge of the church. It's elders now, elders pastor. But there's even confusion about that. And then there's confusion about like what the church is supposed to do for folks, like a lot of times people think like I'm here like as a business really trying to get you to be my customer and I'm going to really do whatever it takes, almost compromising my message in some sense. And, and that's not what I'm here to do. And, and I don't even believe a good business should do that. I, I believe a good business should stand by their business models and their principles as well. But, but even in that sense, the difference between us and say Apple, you know, you wouldn't go to the Apple store expecting to buy a hamburger. Can I hear Amen. Amen. Even though it's kind of neat that Ikea does have meatballs when you go to buy furniture. I don't know if anybody's been there. It's a whole experience, right, kids? My kids like going there. And, you know, you would be wrong to do that. But but in some reason, for some reason, we come to the church and we expect this to be like a social gathering. No, no, no. This is not a social gathering. This is a governmental meeting right now. We are taking the authority of the Word of God. And if you remember, I banged it on the table right here. And I actually made it a little bit loose. I had to screw it back in, right, brothers? Because I was like, courts in session. That you know, this is authority here. It's it's not just merely I'm offering you a service, in other words. There is something that is happening that heaven and earth is paying attention to. Also, the church is not merely for the people underneath the steeple. The church is here for God. So we're not people-centered, we're God-centered. So when I started the church by God's grace, I was doing the work as unto the Lord, even before before you all were here. There's only a few of you that were there at the very beginning of this church, but it was still a church according to the Word of God because there was an elder there that was present, that was ordained. The Word of God was being preached, and the audience of one, everybody say the audience of one. Thank you. The audience of one was present, Jesus Christ. They asked uh, Reinhard Bunke how he got a million souls saved at one of his crusades. He said, all I had to do was find the one and get a bunch of zeros. How many know Jesus is the one? How many know you're a zero without the hero, Jesus? So how do you think you get a church? How do you think we get to 100,000? How do you think we do that? We get everybody to the one. We get everybody to the one and we show them who Jesus is. So this primarily is not about you. Now what happens to you here is beautiful. But even there, what happens to you is to go through you. It's not just for you. So anytime someone says to me, I get, Joe, why you do outreaches, but that's not really for me. I want more of a traditional church where I just come on Sunday and nothing is expected of me. Number one, that's not even really a traditional church. That's a church that has broken with tradition because the ancient church, the oldest of all churches, started in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses. Amen? That's how the church started, and that's how the church should always be. So anybody who thinks to themselves, oh, well, Metro Praise is doing some newfangled thing that I don't know if I feel comfortable with, and I might just go back over. No, whatever you think is an option to outreach is not according to the Bible. Jesus said to the disciples on day one, follow me, and I will make you a fisher of men. It should not be odd or, or extreme to you that I preached on the street this week. That should not be odd or extreme to you. Where did Jesus spend the majority of his time, people? In public, on the streets, preaching the gospel. 
So it shouldn't seem odd to you that before your life group, there's people going around your community. The Jehovah Witnesses should not outwitness you for Jehovah. We follow the real Jehovah. Amen? The Mormons shouldn't outpedal their bikes for you. You should be out there pedaling your bike for Jesus, being an example of Christ. Now, I want you to have that in mind as we go now to the exegesis of the Scripture, because that last week was a lot of the passion behind this. But now I want you to see why we do what we do right here. Are you all ready? Can I, come on, can I hear if you're ready or not? Yes or no? Amen? Amen. Thank you. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? Remember that phrase, Caesarea Philippi, that location, because that's going to come into mind in just a minute. It's going to be important. Okay? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. So understand this, that outsiders can miss who Jesus is. So it shouldn't be odd to us that today people don't understand who Jesus is. One of my go-tos when I'm talking to people on the streets is, do you have time to talk about Jesus? And if they say yes, what is my response? Who do you think Jesus is? What do you think about Jesus? That is the way to go. Jesus did that. And I'm never surprised when they come up with corn things because that's what's been going on from day one. Most of these people are already dead. John the Baptist had just recently died, Elijah, and then Jeremiah. And so now they're bringing in reincarnation to try to explain Jesus. That doesn't make any sense. Now, here's what's most important, though, is what do you say, you know, the, the disciples? What do you guys say? I don't want to know what they think. I want to know what you think. Who do you say I am? Now, Simon Peter said, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Now, notice this. He says, you're the Messiah, Christ. That is the anointed one. That is the one prophesied in places like Isaiah uh, chapter 53. But then notice what he puts in here. Son of the living God. Now, sometimes people say we're all sons and daughters of God. That's not correct. Only those born again are sons and daughters of God. But we are God's offspring in the sense of his creation. But notice this. Jesus is not merely a son. They already knew that. Like if you were in Israel, you could be considered a son of God. Prophets were called that as well. But there's something unique about this when he ties it to the Messiah. The son of the living God tied to the Messiah is like Daniel chapter 7, Isaiah chapter 9, this is the mighty God. This is God in the flesh, Isaiah chapter 7. So 9 and 7 of Isaiah, Daniel 7, all now explains that the Messiah has a divine origin and that this means he is unique from everybody else. Can I hear an amen? Amen. So I, I want you to get this. It's not just merely you're the Messiah and you're a son of God, just like how I'm a son of God and, and there's others. No, no, no. It's you're the Messiah, the divine one, the one that is called Emmanuel, God with us, the one that is called Mighty God, Everlasting Father. There is a lot packed in that. Peter understood that and was saying that. Do I think he had all of the depth of it yet? No, he's going to get that later on. But when he attached a divine title to Jesus, son of the, uh, the title, the son of the living God, he meant that as a divine title. He meant that as if you're a human father and then you have a son like, like John just did, what is the nature of the son if John is a human? What is the nature of the son? One person understands how the birds and bees work. Let's uh, the, the, Think about it again. If John is a human and he has a son, what is the nature of his son? Human. This is how it was meant by, by Peter. If God is the father and God the father has a son, what is that son in nature? 
God. That's how he means it. Does everybody get that? It's not just like how we're all sons of God. It's not just how we're all just offspring of God. When he attached it to Jesus as the Messiah, he means Jesus is of the same nature as the Father because the Messiah was a divine figure prophesied in the Old Testament. How many know that? A few of you? Okay, let's take our time. We're not in a hurry, are we? Let's go to Isaiah chapter 9. Go to Isaiah chapter 9 and see that he is prophesied as a divine figure. Son of the living God. Notice this in Isaiah chapter 9. Start around verse 7, please. I want everybody to see this because I think for some, uh, you know, go back up. Let's go to verse 5. Let's start there. Every warrior's boot is used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us a what? A child is what? Born to us a what? Son is given. Does everybody see that? This is a messianic prophecy. This is hundreds of years before Jesus. When Peter is saying of Jesus, you are the son of the living God, this is a passage he has in mind. He does not have in mind, Jesus, you're the Messiah, a son of God, like we're all here sons of God. How many understand that? He's already watched him do things only God can do, and he understood that the prophecy of the Messiah as coming as the son of God was not merely a son like how we are a son. Because keep reading, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the what will be on his shoulders? The government. And where does that government start? In the church, as we're going to get to today. This is, this is before I can even get to it, right? We're at the intro before the intro, but I'm okay because I like to read the audience. And I want to make sure you understand this. When, when Peter said, you're the Messiah, the son of the living God, this is what he's talking about. Son of the living God, according to this, means you're going to come and be the governmental leader. And you, the son of the living God, that child that is born, that son that is given, will be called... Say these names with me. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Thank you. See, that's what he's talking about. Does everybody see that? Now go to Daniel chapter 7. Leave that tab open, please. And then put in Isaiah chapter 7 just to see if we have a a little bit of time to get into this. Because I think it's good that you see Son of the Living God to, to Peter the way he was saying it was not merely like we're all just God's sons. Now go to Daniel 7 all the way towards the end of the chapter. We see here that the Son of Man is going to come before uh, the Ancient of Days, and he's going to receive worship. Go right up now. Thank you. Now notice this here, starting in verse 26. But the court will sit, and his power will... Excuse me, go up a little bit more. It's um, It's going to be right above this. Keep going. As I watched them, the books were open. I wanted to see the fourth beast. Keep going. There we go. I'm so sorry. I keep thinking it's going to be right up there. Interpretation of the dream. Oh, sorry. It's in the middle of the chapter. There we go. 13. In my vision at night, Daniel 7, 13, I looked, and there before me was the one of a son of man. See, now, the son of man, did that just mean, oh, you're just a man like the rest of us are son of men? No, because what does this Son of Man have? Coming with the clouds of heaven, he approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power, and all nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. Do you worship a man on this earth? 
Are you able just to bow down to anybody, any man, and just do that? Isn't that what they got thrown into the, uh, the furnace for? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego was not worshiping a man? And yet now the same Daniel, who himself was told not to pray but to a man, a leader as well, he's told if he doesn't do it, he gets thrown to a lion's den. Now he sees a man being worshipped. Is that any old kind of man? Of course not. That's the son that is given and the child that is born. The eternal son of God comes in flesh as a child. But he's not merely a man. He's the God man. Does everybody see that? That's why when Peter declares him the son of the living God, he sees him as Daniel sees him. And then now going back to Isaiah chapter 7, probably somewhere around, what, verse 16. Let's go to there. Let's see. No, we passed it. Go on up, please. And he shall be called Emmanuel. Just uh, Where we got it? Verse 14. Thank you. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a what? So a virgin, which is impossible to be pregnant unless it's a miracle, a virgin will conceive and give birth to a what? Son, and then the son that is born will be called what? Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now going to the notes, please. Matthew chapter 16, Peter says, you are the Messiah. So all of these things we've been waiting for the Messiah to do, the son of the living God. So your nature as the Messiah who fulfills these works of God, who is the king of God's kingdom, Psalm chapter 2, this very one's nature is equal to his father. And he himself will be called an everlasting father. That means the creator. He himself will be called wonderful counselor. He will do the very things God himself does, and he will be worshiped as God in Daniel chapter 7. And if you ever forget who he is, you'll know him by his nickname, Old Manny, Emmanuel, God with us. Everybody getting that? Okay, now we can move on. You all ready? Okay, now we can move on. Praise God. Verse 17. Jesus blessed him and says this to Peter. Notice what Jesus does. Jesus replies and says, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. For this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. So notice the miracle of what's happening here. God is opening Peter's eyes to see who Jesus really is. Verse 18, and I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Now why was it important to remember Caesarea Philippi? If you look up in Wikipedia or in a Bible dictionary, the caves of Pan you will see that in Philippi, Caesarea Philippi rather to be specific, they had a system of caves that had an opening that they believe Pan came out of from the underworld and that if you go back in through that cave, i.e. that gate, you could go back into the gates of hell. You could go into hell. Everybody listening? That's in that area. And around that big cave is a big old rock. Most times caves are in rocks. Are you listening? And so Jesus now uses the imagery of a rock and a gate leading to hell. And what does Jesus say here clearly? Simon, I'm going to build my church on a rock. And that this rock that I'm building my church on, the gates of hell will not prevail against. Now, what does that mean, gates won't prevail? That means what you're trying to do to get through the gate, the gate won't stop you. 
That means if you wanted to go down into the underworld and kick Pan's butt, the gate on the outside could not stop you from getting in. The gate is meant to keep you out, but Jesus is saying, I'm going to bring you in to take what the enemy has stolen. Amen? So that's why the church is an offensive church. That's why the church doesn't stay in one place. That's why the church goes to preach the gospel. And how do I know that? Because the very next words give us governmental authority. And I give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. This is governmental, judicial authority. Amen? And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. Now, just to review this for you, that it's not only Peter that are given these same keys. Go a few chapters over in Matthew chapter 18. The church is giving these keys. And then now we're going to explain to our Catholic friends who Peter actually is according to the Scriptures and from his own words. And then I'm going to help you see how important this is for Christ building his church in the gates of hell not prevailing. But look at Matthew chapter 18 and see verse 18. So now this is two chapters over. This is now Jesus talking to the whole church because remember, Peter may be the first member of the church, but he's not the only member. So now he says to these disciples, truly I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, how do I know he's not just talking to Peter or maybe even just the disciples? Because now he says, again, truly I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they truly ask for, it will be done for them. Is that merely apostles? No. Is that just merely apostles? No. How do I know? It will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where there are two or three gathered in my name, there I am with them. Is that just the apostles, yes or no? Come on, brothers and sisters. I need you to catch this. Unless you want to be pimped by a pope, you need to check this out. And I mean this with respect to my Roman Catholic friends. Unless you want to be pimped by a pope, you need to understand that the authority was given to everybody. I mean that with all due respect. To the Pope, I say nope. If someone wants to be in charge of the church as a pastor or a leader like an elder, amen. If Roman Catholic people want to do that and they want to call them priests, I'll even go that far. That's fine. But if you want to now say that there is a leader in the seat of Peter handed down from one generation to one generation that has keys that nobody else has, you're not going by the Scripture. So share this with your Roman Catholic friends in love. Now go back to Peter, and let's go see to Matthew 16. Let's take our time. In the, uh, the notes here, not, not the notes, but in the uh, Logos passage, please. Put it up there, because I want you guys to see this. There's many issues that people have Yeah, in that new tab. Matthew chapter 16, verse 16. Now notice there are many issues here that uh, people skip over, and they seem to miss. And I don't know why they don't see it. I think it's part of blindness, and I think it's part of tradition, Okay. Notice here when Jesus says, and I tell you that you are Peter, there is a name change. Sometimes people think that Paul went to Saul or Saul went to Paul. There's a name change. There is no name change with Paul. That's just one is his Latin name and one is his Hebraic name. Saul is the Hebraic name. Paul is the uh, Latin name. Just like with my, my wife, her uh, Greek name is Athanasia, but we call her Nancy. There's a Greek name and there's an English name. There's no changing. There's no divine encounter of, of uh, her changing her name there, okay? But there is a divine encounter here of a name change, okay? He goes from Simon to now being Peter. Now put the uh, mouse over Peter, please, so they can see the Greek word for this come up. Now everybody understand this. Petros, noun, nominative, singular, and everybody say this word right here with me. 
masculine. You know what a man is? Okay, you came to a church, you know what a man is, right? Now, and on this rock, I will build my church. Highlight rock. See, this is where they want to say, see, now Peter is called a rock, and now on the rock he will build his church. That must mean they are the same. Now, go back one word. Sometimes they don't put it exactly where it needs to be. Go back now. Go back forward. I mean, forward. Go back one. I keep moving forward. Okay, get in the New King James. For whatever reason, sometimes the NIV uh, Greek messes up. Now, yeah, put that in Matthew chapter 16. And then what we want to do is hit this symbol right up here so that we can see both these words. Yes, that symbol you hit. Perfect. And then it will be up there for us. Okay. All right. Now, go ahead and scroll up there for me, please. Okay, now, on this rock, highlight rock right there for me. I go up and touch rock. See this? No, this one's being naughty too. Go to King James. You went to New King James. I think that's the problem. You're in New King James. Yeah, go to King James. There we go. Now hit that Greek up there for me. Hit the, hit the Greek. Perfect. There we go. That was New King James. Okay, now scroll down here for me. You got to show this to your friends because they don't know it. And you got to teach them. Okay, there we go. Now, Touch the word rock right here for me so everybody can see it. For some reason, see, this program is messing up. You see, it keeps giving us the article, ho, before the word. But does everybody see here Petra? Does everybody see there? Now, I wish that you could see it. But see, it tells you that the article singular is before a what kind of noun? Feminine. Now, you obviously know that because many of you are Latino speakers. A word that ends with O-S is generally what? Masculine. And a word that ends with A is generally what? feminine. Now notice this. You are Peter, Petros, and upon this Petra, I will build my church. How can you now say that that's Peter as the rock? It's not even in the same gender. You went from male to female. Is, is Peter transgender? No. Now what sometimes people want to say is the language that Jesus spoke was Aramaic, and so kepos, which you'll see in other parts of the New Testament for Peter, would not have a gender. So the word rock would not have a gender. So it would have been like this. You are kepos, and upon the kepos, I will build my church. But notice this, my sassy friend. It wasn't recorded in Aramaic. It was recorded in Greek, and it's there for a reason. So unless you want to speculate about how, how words were back then spoken versus how they were recorded, that's another conversation. I trust, how many trust the Greek of the Bible? How many believe that that word is there, Petra, for a reason, and that word Petros is there for another reason? I just believe that. That's what I believe. I believe when, when he spoke it in Aramaic, he might have said kepos and kepos. But when Matthew, by God's inspiration, recorded the Bible for us to have in Greek, he chose two different words. How many know that's significant now? Because you're using those words for a reason. If Jesus wanted to say... Your name is now Peter, and upon you I will build my church. Then why didn't he just say that? Why didn't he say, you are the rock, Peter? Now, you might say, Pastor, you're a Protestant. You have an issue with the Catholic Church. You're just, you're just you know, quibbling over words right here, and this is what you came up with. No, no, no. Everyone listen to me. We have done surveys, not even just Christian, the, uh, Protestant theologians, but Catholic theologians, of what the earliest church fathers believed was meant here, and the majority of them do not believe Peter is the rock. 
It's either Jesus is the rock that Peter is confessing, or it's Peter's faith that is the rock that the faith of Peter we get to have, and we get to be a part of that as well. So in other words, the church fathers, which in some ways the Roman Catholics idolize so much, actually agree with me, not with them. And I have the research for you, and you can... uh, Email us at info at mpichurch.org, and I'll show that to you. So it's actually a later interpretation that gets people to think that Peter is the rock. Now, how do I know that this is true, even though I believe I have exegeted it for you? Now, go to a new tab in the NIV, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 8, settles the problems out of Peter's own words. How many remember this from last week? This is a little bit of review, but I'm going into more depth now. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 2. Notice that Peter is going to use these words, stone and rock, and notice how he uses them, and may we have the same doctrine as Peter. How many want the same doctrine as Peter? Amen. Now, 1 Peter chapter 2, start in verse 4. Peter's talking here. How many believe Peter wrote this epistle called 1 Peter? Okay. Thank you. As you come to him, who's the him there? Jesus. You know the context, right? You can see it in just a few verses before that. But as you come to him, Jesus, the living what? The living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also like living what? Stones are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy what? Priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So even if... People do not want to understand the difference between the masculine and the feminine of Petras and Petra. Notice Peter here, put your mouse over stone, please, uses the exact same word, lethos, masculine, to now describe the church. Go to the living stones right here. Same exact word, stones, please. You see the same Greek word there? Look at right here. Living stone, put it up there. Does everybody see this word right here? This is an L, that's an I, this stands for a T-H, that's O-S. Everybody say lethos. Okay, do you see that word? Even if you don't understand Greek, do you understand what that looks like? Okay, now go to this next word. Does everybody see that that looks exactly like the word I just showed you before? Amen. L-I-T-H-O-S. What does that tell us? That Jesus never had a, uh, or Peter rather, never had anything big about the way he felt about himself. He just thought he was like us being a part of Jesus' house. Does everybody see that? He didn't think he was any different. Jesus is a big living stone. He's the cornerstone as we're about ready to get. And then all of us, just him, just the priesthood, just a certain group of people are stone. No, no. Then we are all like him living stones because we're in him. And now we are a spiritual house, a holy priesthood. So where does Peter here differentiate himself between Jesus and us? Because shouldn't the Pope be between us and Jesus? According to their religion, isn't the Pope between us and Jesus? Do they think you are equal to the Pope and your authority and what you have and what you can do? No, they don't. Now, they don't think the Pope is Jesus, so it basically goes when it comes from authority. It's like Jesus, the Pope, and then priests and all of this. But notice Peter says we are like Jesus when we come to Jesus. We're stones just like Jesus, and all of us make a spiritual house. All of us make a holy priesthood. So if anybody's being called a priest, we're all being called a priest. Does everybody get that? I can't make this up, brothers and sisters, but they have. I can only go to the Scripture and tell you what it says. Now notice this. Keep on going. 
For in the scripture it says, see, I lay a stone in Zion. So there is going to be a special stone, but it's only going to be for Jesus. Keep going. See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious what? Cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. So is there any rock called Peter that's a cornerstone? Is there any rock other than Jesus that is called precious? Hello? No. This is only Jesus differentiated. Now watch this. Now to you who believe, how many believe in Jesus? This stone, amen, is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And the stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them what? Fall. Now notice the word rock. Highlight it for us, please. Everybody remember that word Petra? Now it's right there. Why? Because feminine nouns can be applied to masculine people not as direct names but as objects and things in their life, meaning there are some nouns that just are either either feminine or masculine, right? How many know that in your language? It is feminine or masculine, and then a masculine or feminine person can have those nouns, interact with those nouns, but they still remain their gender in the, the grammatical sense. Are you guys tracking with me? Jesus is not named Petra. Jesus is called the Petra. What did he say in Matthew chapter 16? He would build his church on the Petra, the rock. So go back to Matthew 16. Who or what is the Petra? The Petra, the big rock is Jesus, not Peter. How do I know that? Because Peter is given a name that's masculine. That's actually his name. Petra is the rock that we're building on, and it describes something. It's not describing the guy that was just given the masculine name. Otherwise, he would have said, Petros, on Petros, I build my church. But he said, Petros, because you're a dude, and I'm going to name you that. I'm going to build my church on a rock, which has a feminine ending. But the feminine ending is applied to Jesus according to Peter and the prophets. Not as his name, Petra. He's not called Petra in that way as a proper name. He is the Petra in the sense of what that noun is. Does everybody see that? You have to see it. I'm going to repeat it slow, maybe even say it in Polish. The first reason we do not believe Peter is the rock is simply because the nouns change. Let's just keep it simple. Let's just leave off the gender of nouns and languages right now. Let's just keep it real simple. This word Peter and this word rock are two different words. Two different words. Does everybody get that? One is Petros, one is Petra. If Jesus wanted to say on Peter, I was building my church and that we could somehow say Peter has a special place, he would use the same word he just called the dude. How many see that? And I don't care if they spoke in Aramaic and Kephas, it's the same word, for both of those, I don't care because when Matthew recorded it, he recorded it in Greek and he showed there is a distinction. Whatever this is, this is not. Whatever this is, this is not. By the very definition of what a name is, what a word is. Are you all tracking with me? Number one, Petros is not Petra. That's number one. Number two, as we go to First Peter, what does Peter teach us? Jesus is a stone. We are now made stones. But the kind of stone he is is a precious cornerstone. Nobody's like him. Because we are stones built on the precious cornerstone, now we all have the privileges of a priesthood. Everybody see that? And then point number three, the rock is 
that Jesus is talking about here. You ask anybody who is the rock in the Bible, the rock is Jesus. According to a Protestant, no. According to the supposed first pope, Peter. Peter says that rock is Jesus. Did you see it there? Go to 1 Peter chapter 2. And the stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. Rock is the word Petra. Amen? I want you guys to see that. Now, one more time. How do I know Jesus is the rock? He's the rock that followed them in the desert. That's where he first gets the title, not the proper name, but the title of the rock was in the Old Testament. And if you've ever heard the rock that is higher than I, you've also understood that understanding. Followed them in the wilderness. I want to give this to you. Go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Paul, like Peter, attributes the rock to Jesus. So who is the cornerstone? Jesus. Who is the rock? Jesus. Is there any room for Peter here? No. I said, is there any room for Peter here as the rock or as the cornerstone in that way? That should be specific, right? Notice chapter 10, verse 1. For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors all were under the cloud, and they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and they all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual what? Rock that accompanied them, and that what? Rock was Christ. Highlight the word rock there for me, please. And that what? Petra was Christ. Because nouns have gender, it doesn't mean it can't be applied to a masculine if it's a feminine gender, but it can't be its proper name. That's how I know it's not Peter in Matthew 16, but then specifically in 1 Peter 2 and in 1 Corinthians 10, the rock, the Petra is Jesus. You are Petros, and upon this rock, upon himself, I will build the church, and the church will, uh, the gates of hell will not prevail against him. Jesus is the rock, and on this rock, he will build his church. That's what the Bible says. You and I need to understand how important that is. Now, going back to 1 Peter quickly, chapter 5, who is Peter then? What was Peter's role? Does he have authority? Absolutely. But where did his authority come from? As a rock? No. No, where his authority came from was he was an apostle and he was also an elder. An apostle is someone sent by Jesus to establish the church. That is a gift that he was given. But the office that he had, the title that he had, the function that defined everything else is elder. Notice it in 1 Peter chapter 5. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow what? Elder. And a witness of Christ's sufferings who will also share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds. And that's where we get the word pastor from. Be shepherds. Highlight the word shepherd for me, please. When we look at this word, piones, that's where we get the word pastor. A pastor is someone like a shepherd, caring for God's flock that's under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief what? And when the chief what? Is he the chief shepherd? No, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. According to Peter, there's one big stone, the cornerstone, and then there's all this other stones. 
Also, according to Peter, there's sheep and then there's shepherds, but those shepherds are all under the chief shepherd. Amen? So why do people turn to the traditions of men when the Bible is clear about who these people are? I think it's because of some of the stories I have to tell you now. You have to understand church history. And I read to you at the end of last week's sermon, Ignatius. And oftentimes, the Roman Catholics use this to start taking their trail of ascension for the Pope and so forth. But that did not happen until hundreds of years later. As a matter of fact, some would say it wasn't until the Great Schism of the Greeks, uh, the East and the West, the Greek Orthodox, known as the, the Eastern Church, and the Western Church split in 1000 A.D., that that's not truly where a pope had his day to now reign over all of the church. And I tend to agree with it, though. I can see it a little bit earlier than that, and that being what led to the conflict, the great schism. You can look that up. But brothers and sisters, I want you to understand, Ignatius never saw it the way the Roman Catholics see it. As a matter of fact, Ignatius sees it exactly the way we see it. When we see the church, we see the stones of God being built upon the living stone, Jesus Christ, the chief cornerstone. How many believe that? Amen. And then being built upon that stone, the living stone, the main one, the cornerstone, we as Christians, we now have amongst ourselves, we now have leaders that we follow and leaders that we respect. How many of you respect your leaders? Amen. And so because of those respectful positions that we have, those elders, those leaders are now part of our submission to Christ. They are not Christ himself, but they are a part of our submission. Because notice this, the chief shepherd has shepherds. And when we submit to those shepherds under the chief shepherd, it's like we're doing it to him. Keep going in verse 5. In the same way you who are younger submit yourselves to the older, all of you close yourselves with humility towards one another. God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore under what? God's mighty hand. Hold on, that he may lift you up in due time. Hold on, stay right there for me, please. So submitting under God's mighty hand actually looks like submitting yourselves to your... Hello. Hello. That's not what the church world wants to hear today. I only submit to Jesus. I only submit to Jesus. No, the Bible says when you humble yourself under God's mighty hand, who are you really submitting yourselves to on earth? Elders, let me read a Facebook post that I had uh, come up the other day. You all want me to get sassy a little bit? You like it when sassy pastor comes out? Amen. This one's not too bad. I think you guys will like it. So we have the highlight video of what came out last week, and then this is what somebody says. Pastors or elders are not in charge. Jesus is in charge. Pastors just lead us to Jesus. And this is what I wrote this person. Sadly, you do not know the biblical role of pastors slash elders. Titus 1, 7, since an overseer manages God's household. To manage God's household means according to Jesus' parable of managers, they are in charge. Listen to how Jesus spoke about managers being in charge. Luke 12, 42 through 44, the Lord answered, Who then is the faithful and wise manager whom the master puts in charge of his servants? 
Everybody say, puts in charge. Puts in charge of his servants to give them their food allowance at the proper time. It will be good for that servant whom the master finds doing so when he returns. Truly, I tell you, he will put him in charge. Everybody say, in charge of all of his possessions. Amen. The Bible says that those who are in charge now who do well with God's servants, when the kingdom of God comes, will be put in charge of even more of God's servants. I know I ain't that path, and I'm going to go down the road. Wait for the kingdom of God to come, and him put you right back under this authority for a thousand years. Hello. That's in the Bible. Now, I'm not saying every pastor is good, but I'm saying elders and pastors who oversee God's church have some real authority according to Jesus. Humble yourself, brother, under godly leaders, and don't use the excuse, I just follow Jesus. That didn't work in Paul's day, and it's unbiblical. 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Notice Paul saying, follow my example. Don't just follow Jesus' example like that's all you're going to do. Follow Jesus' example in me. Jesus' example has to be in people or Jesus failed. Did you hear what I said? If somebody on this earth can't say, follow me as I follow Jesus, in other words, if there's not a me following Jesus as well, then how is there ever going to be a you following Jesus? Well, we're all imperfect. Nobody lives right. Well, then Jesus failed. I thought he said the church, uh, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. If there's nobody in the church following Jesus and, and you can't follow anybody but Jesus up in heaven, then he's lost it on earth. Hello? I'm not saying that every pastor is a good pastor. I'm not saying, what I'm saying is there better be some leader on earth that you can follow as you follow Jesus. How many husbands say that to their wives? How many parents say that to their children? And how many of us should be saying it to this culture? Follow me as I follow Jesus. Didn't work then, doesn't work now. Now go on to what the Bible says. It's Christ's church, and he put qualified leaders in charge. Follow them as they follow Christ, lest you be a burden and not a blessing to the body of Christ. Hebrews 13, 7. Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Hebrews 13, 17. Obey them that have rule over you. The Bible says, and you can put it up there for him too, brother. Hebrews 13, 17 in King James, please. Obey them that have rule over you. Backslidden, butthurt Christians do not want to hear that someone has rule over them and that they need to obey anybody but Jesus. That is not a church. If you do not have a church ruling over you, you don't have what Jesus said would be on this earth. And I'm not saying that pastors should rule over with their own authority. It's Christ's authority. And as Peter said, they don't do it lording over the people. They do it with joy, knowing that they themselves are ruled over by Jesus. Obey them that have rule over you. My first question to church hoppers is who's over you? Who are you obeying? Why I only obey God. Then you ain't doing the church stuff. You're going to find out. I'm not saying you're going to hell. I'm just saying you're going to find out real quick in heaven what it feels like to work at the places where people obeyed. Amen? Brothers and sisters, they didn't listen then. They'll listen in the kingdom of God. Those of you who listen now will rule then. Is that not what Jesus says? Oh, that's what a cult says. You're trying to manipulate us. No, did I not just read what it said there in Matthew? Jesus' parable himself said, the one who's in charge now, listens now, will then be in charge later. Those who follow orders now get to give out orders later. The kingdom of God is not socialism. All of our mansions aren't going to be the same. Are you listening to me? 
Well, we all glow the same. We all have the same mansions. No, man, you're going to be passing by some really pimped out cribs on your way to that shack on Glory Lane if you have not been a part of Christ's church. And I'll tell you right now, you're going to be there in the kingdom of God a lot longer than you were ever here. That's why the Bible says what? Store up for yourselves Dollar Tree gifts. Go up there and put five below stuff under the tree. No, it says store up for yourselves treasures. He put it in our heart. You better have your mind on treasures. When I get up to heaven, Jesus is going to say to me, well done, good and faithful servant. Crack, crack that chest open to see what's in there waiting for you. How many know souls are treasures in the kingdom of God? How many know obedience and righteousness are treasures in the kingdom of God? How many know you're going to have things to show the world in the ruling and reigning of Christ that you were a kingdom blessing? You were a kingdom treasurer. Hallelujah. I'm like national treasure. What's that guy, Nick Cage? I got all the treasures in Jesus' name I can get. I'm finding them all. Maybe there's one right behind your ear, young man. I like that he always sits on the front row. He's a treasure. Amen. He's getting blessings. The Bible even says that when you see the preachers of God's word out there ministering and you give them a cup of cold water and say, here's some water, man or woman of God, you've got blessings in heaven. Don't tell me about a God who didn't talk about blessings and prosperity and treasures in heaven. That is clearly taught in the scripture. So who do you obey and who rules over you? Obey them that have rule over you. Submit yourselves to them. It's Christ's church. He's put people over it. You better listen. Now, keep going in this post I gave them. Everyone, somebody say everyone. Thank you. Everyone says they love and follow Jesus until he teaches them to love and obey the leaders he set over them. Did you hear what I said? Somebody get happy on this. Join with Brother Juan. Get happy. Everybody says they love Jesus until Jesus says obey somebody. Listen to somebody. Everybody loves me as a pastor until I tell them no. We don't always have to agree, but we have to choose to obey and submit to what God called us to do. My wife doesn't always have to like my final decisions, but she has to decide, is this my husband or not? My children, come on parents, don't always have to agree with every one of my decisions. Now the good thing about elders is that there's many around to find to submit to. If you don't like this one, go find another one. But I'll debate anybody that thinks it's outside of Christian obedience to obey a leader in your life. Anybody disagrees with that, they're outside of Christianity. So I said to this gentleman, everybody loves Jesus until he tells them to follow somebody on this earth. Likewise, listen to this, everybody. The same ones who mock the church now will submit to Jesus as leaders in the kingdom, of, uh, the kingdom to come as he sets them up as kings and priests. I want everybody to get this revelation because some people do not understand this. I only submit to King Jesus. Not, nobody's perfect. When Jesus comes to this earth, is he a king by himself? No, the Bible says he's a king of kings. What must you have if you are a king of kings? You must have kings you're ruling over. I said, even when Jesus comes to earth and you can physically see him, no doubt that man's in charge. He will still say, listen to that one. They also in charge too. Put these scriptures up. People looking at me crazy. Matthew chapter 19, verse 28, Jesus said to his original 12 disciples, I tell you, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on what? 
12 thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. So what do those first disciples have that we don't have? They have an individual throne in Jerusalem around the King of kings and Lord of lords. Those are the first kings right there. And they have their names written on the foundation. Those are important people. And everybody asks, what about Judas? Some think it was Matthias and what the early church did. They went to gambling. No, I think it was Paul. That's why the Bible talks about Paul, not about Matthias. That's my personal opinion. Some think it's Matthias. That's okay. That's between uh, you know, us to decide as, as we study more. But notice what Jesus said. Jesus said, you 12 are also on thrones. Why well, just submit to Jesus? Try that with Peter when he puts his boot in your chest and says, back up. Are you listening? Y'all get quiet on me. Is Jesus a king or is he a princess? He's a king. This is some masculine energy right now. We've been talking about that in Hebrews. This is masculine. This is not princess. We thank God for beautiful women of God that are princesses, that are warriors, okay? But Jesus is a what? A king. He has a kingdom. In that kingdom, they are then set up directly next to him. Twelve thrones. Twelve kings, those are the apostles. Those apostles will rule this world. I don't know why when people think about heaven, they just think about naked baby cherub angels, wings, and stuff. This is what you need to be thinking about. As I've said before, we celebrate Christmas. We need to be celebrating Judgment Day because Christmas has already happened, Christ's birth. We need to be acting out stuff like this. We need to have Jesus not come in, you know, pregnant, you know, he's in his mama's womb getting on a donkey. If we're going to have any type of holiday, any holy day, we need to have Jesus coming on a white horse, stepping on some folks, and then have some kings set up. You all think I'm crazy, but I'm just you need a you need a Marvel movie to get this, young people. When Jesus comes, he is more than Thanos, but he can do the righteousness and the judgment all at once. Come on, and with him are kings. Okay, but, what, but that's just the apostles. Now go to Revelation chapter 1, verse 6. And he hath made us, us, hallelujah, the body of Christ, kings and priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion. That's governmental terms right there. To him be glory and what? Dominion, hallelujah, forever and ever, amen. Before you can ever whoop the devil's butt, you got to get in order. Before they ever send out a Marine to go do war, that Marine has to submit to his sergeant. We got Marines coming to this church now, praise God, two of them at the same time. I feel safe, amen. I feel excited about that. I want one of my children to be a boys, to be a missionary. I want the other one to be a Marine. Both of them Christians, they can meet on the battlefield one day. I got your back. Keep preaching, Titus. Keep preaching, Lucas. That's, a, that's something that the Lord told me a while ago. I haven't shared it, but I did last week, so I might as well share it in second service. I might as well share it with you here. I want them both to be Christians, but if, if Dad had a desire, I want one to be in the military, one to be in the ministry, and they work side by side. You know what I'm saying? You can't go out in the military unless you come under authority. Go back to Matthew 16 in the notes, please. That, that, this is language of authority. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Man, how can you have that authority if you're out of order with that church? How can you say, well, two or three of us are gathered together. We, we can get away with whatever we want, but you're out of order with what God has called order. I don't care then what your two or three are doing. See, that's what people think. Oh, well, see, we are two or three, and it doesn't matter. No, it does matter. You telling me Jehovah's Witnesses are the same when they gather? Yes or no? That, well, they got two or three. 
What does Jesus mean by two or three as we learned in Matthew 18? Go there quickly. I wish I had time to preach it. Somebody say, teach it. I don't have time to preach it right now, but I do teach it a little bit. Go up a little bit. Before my brother, he talks about the authority that these people have in the two or three. What does he say right here first? You're going up too far. Thank you. What does he say right here? Keep on going. Keep on going. You better get the sin out your life and be under the authority of the church. I got one amen. You all never read this before? How many have read Matthew 18, verse 15 before? Y'all backsliders, do you read your Bible? I'm being serious. I'm almost upset right now. You have never read this before? Don't be backsliders in Metro Praise. I'm going to ask you again. Have you ever read Matthew 18, 15? Amen. Then you got quiet on me. Thank God. Seriously. You don't know this? You're a visitor. We understand. You've been around for a while. You have missed the boat. Because we deal with sin in this church. And we teach you to understand how Jesus taught us to deal with it. I want you to see it right here in context. Thank you for my my brother doing a good job today. Notice this part that we already read. You notice the bindings right here. And I showed you that this means it applies to everybody else, not just to Peter, right? Remember I went there earlier. But you want to know the context of this? The context is you're in order with what's going on up here. Because if your brother or sister sins and you point out their fault just between the two of you, if they listen, you've won them over. But if they do not listen, take two, one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. Some may say courts in order. Thank you. But if they refuse to listen, tell it to the who? The church. And if they refuse to listen even to the what? The church. Treat them as you would a what? Pagan or a tax collector. Thank you. So you think you're going to disregard the church, be a pagan or tax collector, and then you're going to skip on down here and have some authority? You're playing make-believe. you dressing up like you on Lord of the Rings going to a Comic-Con convention. Real authority comes with submission to the church of Jesus Christ. That's why you see me, by God's grace, after almost 30 years, still in submission to the same church that I started off with, the same leaders, the same people in my life, without exception. That's why there's authority here. That's why we see souls saved here and good doctrine. That's why my life is holy. That's why there is no uh, things hidden under the rug here in any leader's life. I have shown by God's grace, obviously it's his grace, that I submit to the church of Jesus Christ that's over me even as I'm here with you over others. Amen? You can never ask somebody to do something you've never done. Sometimes I watch these pastors break off from each other and then they go get a church. Man, what if those people do to you what you just did to the church you left? You got 100 people. Let me just back up and tell a little story here. Try not to name too many names, but there is a beautiful church in Elgin. Love them, pray for them, honor them. I know the elders there. And he told me about that senior pastor that was there, had an affair, got put under church discipline, and said, uh uh-uh, uh, uh uh, and split the church and started another church in Elgin. And Rudy ran up on him as they were doing Taco Tuesday outreach. And I said, bro, that's great that they're doing that, but we're not partnering with them. Because when I saw that man in the gym, I confronted him. And I said, because I only saw his pictures. I'd be a nosy pastor sometimes, by the way. I had my nose all up in this business. 
the elder lives in my community who told me all about it, and I would look it up, and i go, okay, he's starting a new church over here. I know who he is. I'm going to look out for him. God's is my witness. I saw him face-to-face in the gym, and I said, are you pastor so-and-so? Yep, you from this church? Yep. Did you have an affair and split off and have your own church now? Uh, It wasn't really like that. No, it is like that. Your pastor wanted you to take two years to sit down. He wanted you to go out of town so that these people wouldn't look up to you, and you did the complete opposite. You didn't want to take two years. You didn't want to leave the city for a little bit. You just wanted to take your little butt-hurt self with a few people that feel sorry for you because they're just as backslidden as you are to start a church for backsliders. I wish I could get him up here right now, and he'll say, yeah, that's pretty much what your pastor told me at the gym. He's crazy. But you know what? Call me crazy, but you can't call me unrighteous. I'm righteous. I don't care if you call me crazy. Call me holy and righteous. And so anyways, Rudy didn't know, and some of these people going to this church don't even know because they keep this stuff on the wrap. But I said, man, we're not partnering with that mess. I don't care if the tacos are good. By the way, did you get me one? You know, I don't care. I'm not joining with your Taco Tuesday. You're a rebellious person. You don't have any authority here. You look like us. You talk like us, but you're not us. Because if you were us, you would be under the authority of your pastor. And when your pastor was good enough to give you a church, you sure listened to him then. But now when your pastor has to spiritually spank you, now you want to roll out and have us all feel sorry for you. That was the church you chose to be with. That was the church you chose to sin in. Now you need to take your discipline. You say, that just happens now. No, it's been happening. I didn't even know this story. I was going to the church and didn't even know the story until I went to Bible college that my home church in Fort Wayne, Indiana, the big one, was started after the pastor had an affair with the secretary and they kicked him out and he went down the road and started a church. And get this for laughs and giggles. The church he started became twice the size of the one he left. But you think it ended there? What do you think happened to his children? became adulterers too and tried to cover up those adulterous affairs. A few years later, they lost the whole church, had to put it on the market to sell. Guess who had grown big enough now to buy that church? The one that that man had left. They bought that church and they're still there to this day. Pray for First Assembly of God in Fort Wayne, Indiana. That's why I teach you in this church, you don't ever follow a sinner. I don't care if I'm the sinner. We don't follow. See, sometimes people say, well, you're following a man. You're following. No, no, no. We're following the God in the man. It's like in Band of Brothers when one got promoted above the other, and he said, you still salute me, not just because of you know who I am and all that. You salute the position. I'm now your lieutenant. Salute a lieutenant. And I want to know who are the lieutenants in the kingdom of God. I want to know who the righteous people are in the kingdom of God because these are the ones that have the authority. These are the ones that go and bind stuff, and it gets done in Jesus' name. Going back to our notes, please, quickly in closing. Daryl, would you come, or whoever's on the keyboards? Thank you. It fires me up because most people don't even understand the church, and when we talk about this, they think we're weird. How many don't think this is weird, but this is normal? Amen. This is Jesus talking. Jesus talks about kings and kingdoms. Jesus talks about thrones and rulership. Jesus talks about order and blessing. I want to just say this from the bottom of my heart. If these days were not to be cut short, even the elect would be deceived. Y'all better check your word. That's why you saw me get passionate about Matthew 18. Do not ever take my word for anything in here. 
Because even if it were possible, the elect would be deceived if these days were not cut short. That's what the Bible says. Doesn't it say that? Please go to Matthew 28 quickly. I want you guys to see this in closing. Matthew chapter 28, towards the end, as he gives all the signs and the things that will happen, pray for Maui and Hawaii, so many things going on in our culture. I said Matthew 28. I meant 24, please. Towards the end, I think it might be around verse 28. Try 28. Matthew 24, 28, please. Yeah. Right around here. Go up just a little bit for me, please. Yep, there we go. Thank you. Right around 24. False messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. I called up a church this week in Crystal Lake. I won't tell you the name right now because I'm building a relationship with them. The Lord put them on my heart, and I looked at their sermons, and they had to kick some people out the church, and their sermons were blessing me. And I said, man, i got to call up these people. Most people don't even do this anymore. I called them up. We started talking. I started reading their reviews online. They got about the same reviews we do. People calling them a cult and all these things. I'm serious. I'll tell you the name as I feel more comfortable with it because I'm just starting to get to know them. I told the staff. Maybe they'll tell you if you ask them nicely. Take them out. And I was talking to this brother, and I said, man, what, what do you guys see over there? Because, man, we don't even know each other. We only had a few friends in common, you know, like when you look on the Facebook page. He said this to me. He said, because people don't know the Father, they don't know how fathers act, and they don't know how pastors and leaders act. And if you guys have been listening to me talk in Hebrews about the discipline of a father, it was right there. If you walked into a father, and he even said this in the sermon, if you walked into a father spanking a child, how many of us just, just as an instinct would be like, whoa, 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 back up, back up, what, what's going on? Like, right, like if you saw a spanking going on, most of our instincts would be, why are you, why are you spanking a child? But how many know parents have to spank children? You see the spanking going on, it's uncomfortable. You don't like it. We all know that. But the Bible says, spare the rod and not the child. And so he was saying this to me, and I go, let me ask you something. When you read all these reviews that people say about you, how do they affect you? And he said, I let the Lord tell me if whether or not I'm doing what's right. I don't let those things distract me. And brothers or sisters, I want to say this to you. Don't let the world distract you from what you are doing. It doesn't matter what they say or what they think because there's a lot of false prophets out there today. There's a lot of false messages coming out there today. And if it were possible, even the elect would be deceived. Thank you. Now, going back to our notes, Jesus, and hopefully I'll take this off from next week, Jesus wants us to storm the gates of hell. And, and, the, and the hell can't stop us. But if hell is in the church, if there's a mess in the church, if everybody's out of order in the church, how can we fix the world? If we don't know how to submit to our leaders here, if we don't know how to live right here, how can we go out there and preach to them? What are we going to do, make a bunch of renegade Christians? Well, you just do what you want, you just do what you want, we'll all just meet in heaven. Is that what Jesus said he was doing? Is that what Peter said he was a part of? No, Peter said we are living stones being built on the cornerstone of Jesus Christ. We are a holy priesthood offering up sacrifices to Jesus. What we do here is supposed to mean something. When we storm the gates of hell, it's supposed to change the world we live in. And God wants to do it in us and through us. 
And so my brothers and sisters, don't be rebellious. Don't be naive either, but follow Jesus. Follow leaders. And then didn't we read last week, as I would remind you today, as the band and altars workers come, doesn't the Bible say that you can be a leader yourself, that you could be an elder or deacon, whoever sets their hearts on being an overseer, desires a noble task? Can't that be your desire, brother, to be like one of them? So is there an innie and outie club here? Like, oh, no, these are up here, but you're out there. These are in here, but no. Brother, you want to be, I'm just going to talk to you for a sec, because you're right here today. Listen to me, brother. You want to be one of them? Then do what they did. Obey Jesus and the leadership over you. Live free from sin. Be humble. And the Bible says he will lift you up. You'll stand right here shoulder to shoulders with leaders. This sister means something. She's a mother of Zion. When she prays, she gets answers. When she gives advice, Jesus is speaking. She loves what you get to do. She loves your life. She loves what you get to do in your life. She doesn't want to meddle with you, but she wants to support you. This brother right here is not overbearing. How many know brother uh, right here, Jonathan? Will, sorry. Will, sorry, sorry, Jonathan, somebody else. How many know Brother Will Johnson? There we go. How many know he's a good man? Does he lord his authority over you? No, but how many think he's a good authority to follow? If he was a police officer, you would be following his authority. If you, if you were in the military, you'd be following his authority. If you were on his job, you would be following his authority. Why do we treat him any different in the church? Follow his authority. Listen to his counsel. Listen to the leaders that God has placed in your life. And I know sometimes people want, you know, someone that just looks like them or has gone through what they've gone through, but that's not always true. Sometimes you need the opposite. You might have been a hottie batati out there dropping it like it's hot saying, well, I want an ex-party girl. No, this might be the mama that you need. Hello? You might have been a gangbanger out in the world saying, man, I need Cousin Flacco now to be my leader. No, man, you might need a dude from the suburbs. Were you from the suburbs? Yeah, you might need a guy from the suburbs who has a corporate job. He might be the very thing that you need. You get what I'm saying? And then some of you, because I've tried to do it as well, they don't like it. Some of you have come from the corporate world. Some of you have come from the suburbs. And I point to a TJ or I point to somebody more urban, and you look at him like he's dusty. Don't treat our leaders like that. Well, no, no, I only want to go with Will because Will knows what it's like to work with these kind of numbers. and this. No, no, you, you might need a TJ. You might need a brother Oscar right here because you might need to learn to humble. See, either way, God's going to teach you to humble yourself to start following somebody. And if all you got from the Bible is I follow Jesus, then you have missed what you highlighted, please, the church because that's what Jesus is building. Highlight it there for us, please. Second service, thank you for your, your, your patience. Church, the word church, brother, just highlight it. Thank you. Would you all stand up, please, when we get ready to dismiss? How many want a relationship with the church? How many hear the word of the Lord today encouraging you? I do. Father, I thank you for the church. Lord, I thank you for what you're building. You're building it on people, just like us, just like us, sinners saved by grace. But, Lord, you're asking us to do the impossible to live free from sin and change the world. God, we can't, but we know you can. And so if you're building in us your church, then have your way, mighty God. If you're not yet born again, that's the first step to joining the church. Ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins. Ask him to be the Lord of your life. If you've been living as a Christian, calling yourself a Christian, but not living as one, repent of your sins. 
And then if there's been anything in your life uh, preventing you from being a part of Christ's church, come on up here and shake one of these brothers or sisters' hands before you go and ask them to pray for you.